from Matthew chapter 3, verses 3 through 17. We'll be focusing mostly, well, on a clause in verse 15, but reading 3 through, sorry, 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, and may it truly be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Please give us grace now, that illumination that we so vitally need in order to see you more clearly, to understand you and live more and more by faith. Pray for your people in Jesus' name, amen. A key principle in the doctrine of salvation is the double imputation of Christ. Double in that it works two ways. On the one hand, our sin was imputed, that is, laid upon Christ. He took our penalty. He removed the guilt from us. He paid the debt. Second, so working the other direction, he perfectly, perfectly obeyed what was required of him, and his, required, his righteousness was imputed, applied, allocated to us. Truly, this is an extraordinarily and incredible trade. The Lord Jesus paid the penalty we could never pay, and he gave us his righteousness, which we could never earn. In many ways, I think it's the second part of that, Christ's righteousness and it coming to us, that is often underestimated. We very rightly focus and often recognize him paying the price for us for our sin, <clears throat> but equally important and vital to our um, ability or opportunity to be in the presence of God in heaven is having received his perfect righteousness. Of course, we do say Jesus was sinless, and that's to state this principle negatively. He didn't sin. But the positive way to state that is he did do righteousness. He always did that which was right. And hence we come to this clause in verse 15, fulfill all <clears throat> righteousness. As one writer quoted it, said it, our Lord Jesus looked upon it as well becoming him to fulfill all righteousness, to own every divine institution, and to show his readiness to comply with all God's righteous precepts. Think about that for a moment. All of God's righteous precepts. Three passages I'll put forward to support this. John 8, 29, where Jesus said, I always do the things that please the Father. First uh, Peter 1, 23. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And then it was referred to in one of our prayers, 1 John 2, 1. Jesus, or we have rather, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is righteous. Every instruction, rule, guideline, principle, precept, injunction, all that was righteously required, he obeyed. He pondered the right thoughts, he said the right words, he did the right de deeds at every single detail. 
with right motives, feelings, desires, and aspirations in every situation throughout his life. Truly amazing. It should and often does strike us with awe. If it doesn't, or if there's moments where our awe at these truths is diminished, perhaps it could be because we are prone to minimizing our own failures and maximizing our perceived successes and at the same time bringing him down. So we raise ourselves up and we bring Christ down. I know I do it. We're reluctant to really call our failures sins, easier to consider them quote-unquote mere mistakes, right? And when I do good, I'm inclined to overlook the mixed motives, the mingled pride, the momentary duration of that obedience. So while as Christians, being filled with this Holy Spirit, we really do do and accomplish good things. They are partial, right? It's mingled with that old man. We can never claim perfect righteousness, even one action, much less the next failed action that follows it. Whereas Jesus never ever sinned. He always did what was right. He always fulfilled all righteousness. Well, the truths about us in comparison to Jesus are not stated to discourage us, but rather so that we can know the truth about ourselves and we can properly look to the one who can save us, the one who did save us, the one who makes all these promises we've been celebrating in this worship service, who died and rose again for our salvation. So the truth about our failures our sins, (laughs) there I go, our sins should serve to make Jesus all the more awesome in our eyes. He lived a thoroughly, perfectly righteous life and pleased his Father. His perfect righteousness is then given to us so that, quoting from Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So friends, may this stir us up to humble gratitude and awe for our triune God. He is great and greatly to be praised. And as we've quoted several times already from Ephesians, let us praise the glory of his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, it is a humbling truth to recognize our failures and it is an encouraging truth to recognize Jesus' success at every point. He obeyed you. He actively, positively did that which was good and right and pleasing to you. We have great joy in that, great peace, because our continuing sins uh, do not impact his continuing perfection. May we today and in the days and months and years and infinity into the future continue to dwell on rest and trust in his righteousness on our behalf. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.